Welcome to the First United Methodist Church. We hope our sermon broadcast will bless you. The scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6. It's verses 19 through 24 from the New Revised Standard Version translation. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust consume and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consumes and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the whole body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for a slave will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So as we've been uh, journeying together through the readings and themes of Treasures of a Transformed Life the last few weeks, we've been using the metaphor of water. We talked first about how commitment is at the heart of living a life transformed by Christ. Commitment's how we prime the pump or get things started in our spiritual lives so that God can quench our every thirst. In addition to our basic commitment to God, the one we need in Jesus. We've also talked about the commitment we make to this community, to our life together, and how our membership vows are at the heart of what is shared in this community. Prayer is what keeps the spiritual waters God wants to give us flowing, and prayer for one another and this church is the first of our membership vows giving life and health to this community and helping to create a place and a space where people can quench their spiritual thirst, the thirst for meaning, the thirst for purpose in an often parched and confusing world. Then we talked about presence. God so loves us that in Christ, God became one of us and came to walk among us. God is not distant but present to us so that we might live and grow in love with God. In the same way, our presence in this community draws us into closer relationship with God and one another. Everyone is welcome here. Everyone has a place here. And when someone is missing or absent, we're all a little bit the lesser for it because there is strength in numbers. A community that doesn't gather is hardly much of a community but a community that does gather, encouraging, supporting, loving, forgiving, and caring for one another is a great blessing. And then we talked about gifts. That's what we're going to talk about this week. Our gifts are the treasure we give back to God in response to the abundance of blessings we have received. Reverend John Ed Matheson, who wrote the book that some of us are reading in our small groups and appears in the video clips, talks about showing our commitment to God and the church by throwing pennies in the fountain. 
When you throw pennies into a fountain, he says, you release them or give them away. And giving or sharing our gifts is an essential and vital part of our Christian faith. As we heard Jesus put it, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. More recently, someone framed it this way. If you want to know what you value, just look at your checkbook. Now, that's dating John had a little bit, uh, because more and more people are just doing everything electronically. But the register in our checkbooks, so to speak, is a register of our values. It shows what we value and care about. It shows where we are storing up treasure in our lives. And you want to know what in college was the number one thing in my checkbook? Domino's pizza. (laughs) Yep. But I don't think God minds those little things that much of the treasure we receive is stored up for living our lives, our families, providing shelter, food, clothing, a loving home in which to learn and love and grow. In fact, I believe God wants us to care for our earthly families and our earthly church families because family in all of its many forms is meant to be one of God's greatest blessings to us. I know it doesn't always work out that way for everyone, but it's a key way that God wants to bless us. When biological families are broken or absent, there is another family God wants to use to bless us, and that is our faith family. Just as we invest in providing a safe, warm shelter we call home and provide food and clothing, so God uses what we give back through our offerings to create a spiritual shelter, a place where we can be fed and nurtured and comforted when the days get difficult. The good news is, God doesn't demand the lion's share of our earthly resources to prove our faith and love. Rather, God asks for a portion, a tithe, 10%, to help build up the community of faith so that together we might not just learn but practice reaching out into the world in the love and service of Jesus Christ. To put it another way, Jesus wants us to invest in building the kingdom of God here and now in this place and to be constantly throwing pennies into the fountain so that we have the resources we need to live out the call to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. No one, I believe, can fairly say that we, all we talk about is money in this community as is the accusation made against some churches. You've heard the line. All they ever talk about is money. Money for this, money for that, money, money, money. Well, of course we talk about it on occasion. But is that all we talk about? Of course not. You know, I wonder if some of those same folks who accuse the church of always talking about money say the same about restaurants and movie theaters and especially this year, gas stations and grocery stores. I mean, can you believe it? I was driving back from St. Joe last night. I stopped in Remus to gas up my car, and they wanted my money. (laughs) Sometimes I think that's all they care about. And guess what? That is pretty much all they care about. Nobody, but in the church, nobody has to give anything. You could come here every Sunday for a decade, and no one will ever say, that'll be $24.95, please. So let me reframe how we think about money in church. We don't require or demand 
anything. What we do is offer opportunities to give back as a response to what God has given us. Can I be frank for just a moment? The reason we talk about money in the church at all is because the Bible talks a lot about money. Jesus talked a lot about money. And we just can't ignore that. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Give as freely as you have received. So for the Christian, it is a simple truth. Our spiritual life should inform our financial life, not the other way around. Because as Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. And neither can you separate the two. One must finally be master to the other. Our whole concept of giving corresponds to how much God has given to us. Giving is an integral part of the Christian faith because God has been so very generous. Everything we have is ultimately a gift from God. Everything. And God wants us to use many of those gifts to care for ourselves and our families. But God doesn't give to us only so we can keep it for ourselves. God shares blessings with us so that we might share a portion and bless others. There are hundreds of scriptures in the Bible that talk about money or make mention of it at least. I could quote them all, but the sum of them is God blesses us so that we may bless others. And when we do bless others, we help build up the kingdom of God. In Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth, he writes, God will generously provide you all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Yes, you'll be enriched so that you can give even more generously. When your gifts are given to others, those people will break out in thanksgiving. One of the basics of growth in the Christian faith is understanding that God doesn't want our giving to be rooted in fear. God wants our giving to be rooted in joy and thanksgiving and freedom. As Paul told the church at Corinth as well, God loves a cheerful giver. Now giving, obviously, can be a touchy thing. Very touchy. It's a personal issue for some or even most of us. We might need some persuading. So let me just answer a more basic question. Why should we give? And I'll give you a couple reasons. First, giving reminds us that God has given us everything we have. Uh, The idea of stewardship is that we don't own or earn anything, but rather that God gives to us hoping we will be good stewards in our use of it. In Deuteronomy 8.17, God speaks through Moses saying to the community, you may say to yourself, my power and my strength and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. May we never begin to think, look, what I've accomplished, look at what all I've accomplished. But rather remember that it is God who has given all of us food and shelter and talents and property and wealth and prosperity and more. Look also at First Chronicles 29.14 where we read, But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? This is a prayer to God. 
Everything that we have has come from you, God, and we give you only what you have first given us. So the core understanding of stewardship is that we give because God has first given us. We bless because God has first blessed us. A second reason for giving goes back to remembering that how we use what God gives us reveals our life priorities. The Bible says we're to seek first the kingdom of God. How do we know that God is first in our lives? Well, by our giving, but not by giving God the most. It's by giving God the first, the first fruits, that 10% or tithe that helps show that God has first place in our lives and not Domino's Pizza. That helps show that God has first place. And then there's a powerful third reason for giving. It allows God a chance to prove that he's real. The amazing thing about God is that God wants us to put him to the test so that he can show his power and his love. Just happened late in the week, Relevant Magazine, which comes, I think, twice a month, there was an article written by a woman who's also now written a book who talked about how she loved her church, but she wasn't giving. Not anything. Because they were in debt, $127,000. This is a young family. And she's panicking inside. But she started to pray. And she started to tithe. And things began to change. Malachi 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be food enough in my temple. If you do, says the Lord Almighty, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. That, I suspect, is how she felt when in just three years they paid the final amount due. $127,000. You don't have to go to very many potlucks to know that when people are willing to give, there's an abundance. There's almost always more than enough for everyone. And that pattern is fairly common, not just in churches, but in nearly avenue, every avenue of life. We, when we give, not only do we get to see God in action, but we also get to partner with God in helping others to see that God is real. That happened here just a few weeks ago when I announced an unannounced <laughs> offering to help two homeless women who had been sleeping under the canopy near our entrance. And I thought, well, yeah, we'll maybe get $100 so they can go have a hot meal. And you gave $543. And the one woman was weeping as I handed it to her. An additional question you may have is, well, how much should we give? That's a question every person has to answer individually and prayerfully. It's also a question to which the church at some level is responsible to help people find the answer. One Sunday, as the offering plate was being passed, a little boy reached up, pulled off his tie, and put it in the offering basket. And his father said, why did you do that? And the boy replied, well, the pastor said we're here now to take our tithes and offerings. <laughs> now, that's funny. But the reality is a lot of folks don't really understand the word tithe, but the Bible's pretty clear. It's that 10% mark. In Leviticus 27.30, it says, A tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain or fruit, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart for him as holy. 
Multiple passages in the Old Testament are confirmed by Jesus in the New Testament, as seen in Luke 11, which states that we should tithe so that the first 10% is returned to God. Remember, it's not just about the money, it's about the stewardship of the money. We're giving not because God needs our offerings, but because it's always God's first anyway. As I said earlier, tithing just means recognizing that God has given us all we have and that God is the top priority in our lives and that we give back to help bless others. I know there may be some among us who are thinking, I'm barely getting by on what I make. I'm one check away from being homeless. I can barely pay my bills. How can I give up 10% of my income? John Ed Matheson tells the story of a single mom who was in just that situation. She hadn't grown up with tithing or even with giving sacrificially. Her parents had given a token offering to the church each week, and that was it. Well, on Sunday, she heard a sermon on tithing, and she felt God calling her to tithe. So even though she had very little left over after paying her expenses each month, she began to give 10% to the church. Regardless of what other bills she had or other things she might want to do with her money, she wrote that check each week. And after a few months, she noticed something. That even though she hadn't increased her income and hadn't reduced her spending... Every month, she always had enough to pay the tithe and all her expenses. Before, starting tithing, before she started tithing, things had been so tight, she'd often overdrawn her account. But now there was always more than enough to pay her bills. And she said, I don't know if God spiritual, supernaturally changed my spending habits so I wasn't spending as much as before, or if God was supernaturally depositing money into my checking account because things changed. One of the most freeing and liberating things that's happened in the lives of so many believers is when they came to that point where they said, God, I want you first place in everything that I do. And a good place to start is with our financial resources, but don't just take my word for it or even do it because the Bible says to. I suggest you find people And I imagine there are some in this congregation who have tithed for years, for decades. And I guarantee if you find them and get a chance to talk with them, they will enthusiastically tell you about the freedom and the benefits they've personally experienced because they tithe. One of the keys to receiving the treasures of a transformed life is through our giving. It's one of our vows. It serves to remind us that God has given us all that we have and all that we might need. But it also demonstrates that God has first place in our lives and gives God a chance to prove that he's real. Another biblical admonition is that we're not only to give 10%, but also give beyond the tithe in proportion to what we've received. Deuteronomy 16, 17 says, we all must give as they are able according to the blessings given them by the Lord your God. As a pastor, I think one of the things that shuts down most folks from growth in the Christian faith is that we want to do a lot of things, but we're not willing to let go of our time, our talents, our treasures. We're not willing to let go of our money. But where we put our money indicates where our values and priorities really are. So what a joy 
It is for the church to give people an opportunity to be set free, not only by tithing, but by daring to give an additional gift beyond that 10%. And just as with tithing, if you listen to God and give gifts and offerings in measure, God sees to it that you don't ever go without. A young man felt led to make a $110 gift to one of the church's ministries, and that young man had saved that exact amount for an MP3 player. That's dating the intro. <laughs> the, uh, yeah. So instead he wrote a check for $110 for the ministry and thought he'd go without the MP3 player. But at the end of the month, when he balanced his checkbook, well, you can guess, there was exactly $110 that he had somehow made an addition or subtraction error at some point. God rewarded his cheerful giving and arranged it so he didn't go without something he didn't need, but had wanted. And the last question is, how should we give? We talked about why we should give and how much we should give. Now, in what spirit should that be done? Don't make it just a mechanical thing, something we do out of duty. The Bible speaks very clearly about the attitude with which we should give, and here are three of them. First, we should give not because the church makes us feel guilty, We're not to do it because we want to impress anybody. We're doing it willingly, joyfully even. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, the Apostle Paul writes, you must each make up your own mind as to how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves the person who gives cheerfully. Sadly, sometimes churches do try to persuade people and pressure them into giving more. Sometimes people do give out of guilt, Sometimes people believe they don't have an option. We must all understand that the greatest joys in life come when we respond to God in proportion to how God has responded to us and to our needs. And God wants us to be cheerful in our giving. In Psalm 116, 12 to 14, King David says, What can I return to the Lord for all his bounty to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I'll pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of his people. As king of Israel, David didn't hide behind his power and wealth. He let the people know that he too gave back to God by paying his vow in the presence of God's people. In the treasures of the transformed book we're using, I was once again reminded what C.S. Lewis said about giving. The only safe rule, he said, is to give more than we can spare. Consider the beautiful story in Mark 12, 41 to 44 about sacrificial giving. Jesus went over to the collection box in the temple and sat and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people came and put in large amounts, and then came a poor widow who dropped in two pennies. And he called his disciples to him and said, I assure you, this poor widow has given more than all the others have given. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything. Now, I imagine the disciples, or at least some of them, might have looked at him in amazement and said something like, "Um, Jesus, you don't understand much about economics, do you? She didn't give the most, she gave the least. 
And Jesus would have said back, you might understand economics, but you don't understand people. This woman gave all that she had, while others just gave a token out of their surplus. When do we come to that point of placing God first in our lives, committing a portion of our blessings to him, desiring to give sacrificially and in response to how God has given to us, we open up the windows of heaven, just as Malachi said. God wants to flood his people with more blessings. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. Far more. And they did it out of their own free will. When we think, when we give more than we think we can afford and we do it of our own free will, we open ourselves to all that God wants to do in and through us, blessing us both as individuals and as part of a church family and ultimately the family of God. So in what spirit should we give? We should give willingly and sacrificially, and we should also give expectantly that God will do great things with what we bring and that we will see rewards, sometimes small, sometimes large, never quite sure. In the small groups, we learn that the more we give, the more joy we get out of life and the more God gives back to us. In chapter 6, verse 38 of the Gospel of Luke, we're promised by Luke that if you give, you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full measure, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more and running over. Whatever measure you use in giving, large or small, it will be measured in what is given back to you. Now that's a powerful concept. There's an old story about a rich man who started out very poor but chose to tithe. Over the years that followed, he became quite a wealthy man. And then one year during the church stewardship campaign, he asked the pastor if he could meet with him in the pastor's office. And so they met and greeted one another and then sat down to talk. So what would you like to talk about, the pastor asked. And after a momentary pause, the man said, Pastor, I've always been a tither, but I can't continue to do so. Okay, said the pastor, can I ask why? And again, there was a pause. And then the wealthy man said, well, it's my taxes. They just keep going up. It seems like the more money I make, the more I have to pay in taxes. It's a huge amount these days. I see, said the pastor. Well, you've always been a very generous giver to our church, so I trust you'll do what you can. And the man said, thank you, pastor. I will do what I can. Brother, the pastor asked, could I just pray for you before you leave? And the man said, certainly. So they joined hands. Then the pastor began to pray. Gracious God, I am so grateful for this brother in Christ who has been so generous to our congregation over the years, but I know that now tithing has become a burden to him. So I pray that you will reduce your blessings in his life so that he can continue to tithe and honor you. A bit shocked by the pastor's prayer, he stood up, shook the pastor's hand, and said to him, Pastor, let's just forget this conversation altogether. And a week later, the pastor was pleased to learn that the wealthy man had not only maintained his giving, but increased it. What if we looked at our income tax statements from last year? How much did we give? 
And now what if God this year decided to give us salaries, all of us, salaries equivalent to 10 times what we gave last year? Would we refuse it? Or would we be so abundantly blessed beyond all that we could think or ask that we would fall on our knees and not only give thanks and praise, but commit to return that portion to God for the work of the church? What Scripture is telling us about the standard then is that it's a measure used for what we're going to receive based on what we've given. None of us can outgive God because God is always giving, because God loves to give blessings to his children. This is such an important concept for us because it's at the very heart of the treasures of transformed living and giving. God wants us to experience the best he has to give. Giving is an important aspect of the Christian life. When God has been so very generous to us, we should give back in return because of all that has come from the hand of God. Again, our giving demonstrates that God is first in our lives or not. Providing him the opportunity to prove he's real or maybe not. We're here to give cheerfully, sacrificially, and expectantly. So when you give in that way, don't be surprised if the windows of heaven open. I can't guarantee it for any individual. I just know God has done it in so many lives. And I think that's just about the best invitation and promise God gives us through his word. And so may we not only choose to hear that word, but also place our trust in God, knowing that God will always provide for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, we give thanks for the bounty you have poured into our lives as individuals and families, but also as a church family. We pray we are good stewards in all those categories of our lives, that we take the resources you have given and help us to manage them for your greater good for us and your greater glory in the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.